gave the puck back to Riley. Riley to Marner, closing in. Down low, touchdown! Austin Matthews with the game winner! In overtime, his first game-winning goal of the season, and the Leafs come back to win this one, two to one. Holy mackinac, what a performance! He, he's found another level uh, here in the last month or so. Tonight here again, I don't know how many he could have had here tonight, but uh, you know, I think he finished with 13 shots and 20, 20 attempts. Uh, so he's bound to get one, and uh, it's you know, obviously a big one for us, but yeah, he's been, he's, he's been great for us. Um, you know, I think we've been playing a much better team game here of late, and, uh, and we, we'd really like to see that. That's important, but within the team game, we need need difference makers to step up and, and do the thing, and certainly Austin's done that. Fan Morning Show, Sportsnet 590, the fan, Austin Matthews, with the overtime winner, his first game-winning goal of the season, despite having 30 this year as the Maple Leafs, beat the Anaheim Ducks 2-1 to in overtime, which on its surface may feel like, well, kind of like an underwhelming result. They fired more than 100 pucks uh-huh. towards the Anaheim net, 104 of them uh, as far as shot attempts. Austin Matthews, as you heard Sheldon Keefe mention, had 13 shots on goal, 20 individual attempts. And on the 20th, he found the back of the net. Uh, as uh, That was not easy to do against uh, Lucas Dostal, who uh, comes away with a loss. He got a, a point out of absolutely nothing. He was spectacular. And it mm-hmm. did feel like he was, well, I mean, he set a franchise record, an Anaheim Ducks franchise record for saves in a hockey game with 55 of them. He, at one point, looked like he may be in danger of setting the all-time NHL saves record in a shutout, which is 59. Uh, he doesn't get either. Nope. Because everyone on the Leafs beat did a great job of jinxing them with all their cursy shutout stats, and the Leafs just never let up, peppering shot after shot after shot, eventually, eventually finding a way to bleed not one but two through. Uh, Austin Matthews now on pace for uh, 68 goals, by the way. As the Leafs take uh, the full four points after the first two games of this California road trip, it wraps up on Hockey Night in Canada in San Jose against the Sharks. Time now for our insider Brought to you by Don Valley North Lexus, where you can expect excellence online and in the showroom. Visit DonValleyNorthLexus.com. Today's insider, Nick Kiprios of Real Kipper and Born. How's it going, Kipper? Good morning, guys. How are you? I'm I'm very good. Uh, I'm I'm much uh, more rested after a nine o'clock Eastern California <laughs> game. I I don't know why the Kings insist on the ten thirty stuff. Like I. I Kudos to you, Anaheim Ducks, with the, the 9 o'clock stuff. Um, and, and then, yeah, even more so for for Saturday for the, the Sharks on Hockey Night in Canada. That's a 7 o'clock Eastern thing. Um, but, yeah, that felt like, Nick, and tell me if you disagree with this, that felt like a game that maybe the Leafs would stub their toe, you know, after coming up with a big victory against a, a playoff uh, opponent on the road in the Kings, back-to-back against one of the lesser lights in the NHL. To not just come away with the two points, but to to do it in the manner in which they did seemed like not normal necessarily for this team. Well, certainly if you have a struggling goaltender, uh, that's one that can get away from you rather easily. Uh, they found certainly a way to to win. Again, leaning on your best players and <laughs> it's a bit of a shooting clinic out of Austin Matthews, but it was also a shooting <laughs> clinic from all your top guys. So I think, yeah, once again, people can understand the role of the goaltender today and how important he is. And, uh, you know, no matter how many pucks you get to the net, 
you need to make that one save uh, that uh, that holds you in it, that gives your team confidence. And Martin Jones was was that guy last night. So uh, I think more so a little bit more typical of of what we've seen in the past, where Tavares, Nylander, Matthews, and Marner carry the bulk of it. I, I still think that uh, you know I much preferred a more evened out lineup type of game that we saw against LA than last night. Uh, it just felt for me that uh, probably close to 40 of those shots came from the four big boys that I mentioned. And uh, it wasn't that as balanced of a game for me as, as LA was, uh, but certainly Lee fans will take the two points. Yeah, I mean, the L.A. game and the the Anaheim one, right, they're just completely opposite challenges, right? Like with L.A., that is a cup contender that we all look at and say, all right, litmus test. And with 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 the, the Ducks, it's find a way to to get up for it. And to to their credit, they did. And I'm, I'm with you. I thought it was a much more well-rounded team game against the Kings. But when you see the big boys going the way they were last night, I mean, you know, Matthews, I mean, he finally gets the goal across. But just what are you seeing from him specifically right now? Now, you know, the thing, and I don't know, this is anecdotal. I'll, I'll leave it to uh, to Mike Kelly and Bourne with you to, to actually have the numbers for this. But it, does it not feel like Matthews has kind of found his his spot on the ice? Not to say he doesn't score goals from everywhere, but we close our eyes. We think of Ovechkin in the top of the circle. We think of Stammer there, there as well at times in the past. And, you know, Matthews in that, not quite the bumper spot, but kind of lower in the faceoff dot on that side where he has his one-timer available. Like, it just seems like he's become so lethal from there. And not to say that he wasn't and lethal from everywhere on the ice in his 60 goal year, or even last year to a lesser extent. But what, what do you make of what you're seeing from Matthews right now? And do you find any credence to that, that it seems like he's find, kind of found his, uh, his happy place on the ice. Like nothing's ever going to be Ovi in the circle or Wayner <laughs> in his office, but, no. but what do you make of that? No, he'll, he'll never have this one signature shot or move. The, the guy's so dangerous from all over the ice and uh, he's, he's, he gets pucks to the net. Uh, and that wasn't the case probably about a month ago. But overall, I, I think he's just working harder. He's just moving. He's pushing harder. He's he's asking himself to go to another level. And when those star players do that with that type of talent, they'll they'll get results. And that that's in a nutshell what we're seeing. We're seeing a, a harder working, more committed uh, player. And it's. No question when he's when he's on his game, he's one of the most dynamic and, and special shooters probably in, in the history of the game. Uh, the numbers speak for itself. And the offense rides right on top of it. And once you get to Marner going in terms of finding him, and again on that uh, overtime goal, just the ability to, to uh, create and open up his shot uh, they're, they're special. There's no question about it. But again, I think last night was kind of close to a game where if the other team does get some goaltending and the kid mm. was phenomenal last night, uh, it, it can have a bit of a feel of, of some of those games that we saw in the second round with Bobrovsky, where he was unbelievable uh, for, for the good part of of what the Leafs saw in the second round. So you you got to be careful that you just don't rely on one guy in your lineup come spring. 
as as well as he's putting the puck in the net on a 60 70 goal pace you got to be careful of that one hot goaltender that can shut him down somewhat and then you're just going to you're going to have to rely on more of your lineup and that's where again uh I don't know what Max Domi ended up with last night uh, I think he was even he's close to under 9 minutes uh you're going to need more out of your lineup for to have a real consistent feel come springtime and I think the Leafs kind of got away from that last night and and went to old reliable for me so you know it's okay it's all right get the points bank them but get back on that train where where you're really getting a ton out of out of your four lines and that's where Sheldon's focus needs to be on moving forward I think yeah they were desperate to get the two points in Anaheim yesterday that's why they started Martin Jones that's why Austin Matthews uh as you mentioned played 25 plus minutes so did Mitch Marner and Max Domi played 908 Pontus Holmberg uh fewer than nine minutes um somebody should write a story about goaltending in the NHL and where it is oh wait you did that on the Toronto Star uh <laughs> yeah. NHL goalies have never been this underappreciated here's why and you go into to some of the reasons why we, we've got a, a league average uh, save percentage of 903, which is the lowest in a long, long time. And the Leafs are are getting the production they're getting out of Martin Jones this year, which was unexpected. But, um, yeah, it's, it's kind of the nature of the position. Where are you with the Leafs goaltending right now? Uh, who knows what Dennis Hildeby could be? I, I'd be surprised if it's as early as this season. The guy's he's tall, and, and he's had a great year in the American League. Um how, how desperate do you think the Leafs should be to 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 add a little depth to that position? How desperate are we in the media that you have to ask me <laughs> if Hillbill uh, Hill uh, Hillbil- God I can't even say his name. Hillbilly is a good nickname. I I actually like <laughs> that so much Hilda better than the Hill the Beast. Yeah, the Hill the Beast. How good can the Hill the Beast be? Uh, to carry a team with the Stanley Cup aspirations. You know, uh, that's where you're at, basically. And it's almost as if teams like Toronto and Edmonton, they've just been painted right into a corner here uh, with so much of the commitment to to star players uh, to absorb so much of your cap. Something has to give. A position has to give. And, and right now it's just in net. Uh, but they're... They're just as important as they've ever been in the history of the game because people know that uh, at the end of the day, you can't win without them. You can kind of get away with someone being average but uh, as a defenseman or uh, a forward, but there's no chance that you can win uh, with, with bad goaltending. <laughs> and uh, that'll, that'll remain... But uh, it's it's a bit of a, a dilemma around the league, I think, with so many, uh, again, Stanley Cup teams with aspirations like uh, Colorado, right? And, uh, you know, nobody knows what Georgiev's going to do for Colorado, yet you, you consider them one of, one of the favorites. Carolina, again, a team that we've talked about the last few years. L.A., you know, Talbot's been great, but, 
L.A. doesn't believe that Talbot's going to be the guy to Kipper them three or four rounds. Kipper, I made the point yesterday that, it, I mean, obviously it goes without saying, just given the place where they're at in the standings, they'd like this. But the Kings should be praying that the all-star break is when the playoffs start. Because a guy like Cam Talbot, it's just we've seen this movie so many times with goalies of that ilk where they have a good 60-game run. And it's just a matter of which part of the season does that come in and the wheels come off. Like, I, I, I love that you brought up the Talbot point there because that is the guy he is almost the poster child for where NHL goaltending is right now it's like that's a totally fine goaltender but it's certainly not the guy you close your eyes and think of as a, a Stanley Cup champ the way we think of goalies in in the past even even a decade ago Martin Jones here can you, like, can you really <laughs> see a difference between Talbot and, and Martin Jones Martin Jones can go on a run for the next month but you will have <laughs> some people like you gunner that yep. scratches his head and go do you think martin jones is really going to carry him <laughs> for three rounds in, in in april come on so they'll they'll always have that uh hanging over their heads and you just hope that that when it's when it's all said and done that you can have an aiden hill or a grubauer uh step up and just hold the fort long enough for your austin matthews of the world to to bring home the the, the the tin cup, I guess. Yeah, and and Joseph Wall to to respond from the high ankle sprain, and yeah. sure, and even or, him, or like, Samsonov, or, or Samsonov. Really, uh, you're, you're not. Res- you, hey, you tell your Richter story. Don't, I don't want to yeah. spoil your article, but tell your Richter story, Kipper. The, I think people would like to hear this. Oh, like the year before, Mike Richter was uh, sent to Binghamton. And and we're gonna have him as a guest today on uh, Unreal Kipper and Born there, Gunner. So you're not gonna want to miss that. But Mike I never Richter, do. My favorite show on the station. I tell. I thanks, say it every time. Thanks. Uh, and Mike Richter was sent to to Binghamton. They didn't know what to do with him. He, he was a mess. And uh, I think he went down for about uh, half a dozen games. And I don't know. A year later, after 54 years. Stanley Cup champion. I, I'm not. I'm not writing off Samsonov, and I'm not saying that uh, the odds are 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 with him that he's going to come back up and play an integral part with for the Toronto Maple Leafs. I'm just saying, you know, you can't you can't write somebody off that has shown signs of of being a good goaltender in the NHL at, at times. So I, I'm not sure, boys. I would take mm. the same approach. Uh, as the Leafs and just say, go quietly practice on your own, I would lean more towards, and this is one of the main questions I'm going to ask Mike Richter today on our show, is did you need those five games? Could you have done what Samsonov's doing right now and just find a quiet piece of ice somewhere with four or five of your coaches and just work this out? Or do you need game situations albeit uh at our at a lower league than the at, than the nhl so i i, I i'd have samsonov playing games uh yeah. this week I, I really would yeah uh mike richter in that 92 93 season had an 886 save percentage before going down to the ahl and yeah this was samsonov like in the in the same ballpark at 862 but even worse it has not been good uh so martin jones did what he needed to do yesterday. Can't fault him on the goal he allowed. That was just a breakdown, uh, shorthanded for the Toronto Maple Leafs, and he made all the other saves. Hard to argue with his performance. Um, 
and he gets the start on the back end of back-to-backs because the Maple Leafs were desperate, again, to pick up those two points and start stacking up points uh, after the three-game losing streak. Sheldon Keefe did say that Dennis Hiltaby is they're going to need him in the NHL at some point. There's a, a, a back-to-back upcoming, not this weekend, but the weekend after that uh, against some different opponents than the Ducks and the Sharks uh, in the Avalanche and the Red Wings. How do you how do you expect Sheldon Keefe and the Toronto Maple Leafs to handle the goaltending situation with Martin Jones and Dennis Hildeby for the next week and a half? Well, he's, he's going to have to play one of those games. Uh, there's no question that you just can't keep running Martin Jones out there. And you're going to have to find out what you have with him. There's still probably another month to go before Joseph Wall can come back. So, uh, hey, listen, I, I I called for him last night. I wanted to see him last night. and uh, Sheldon had different ideas. And you can't argue with Sheldon's decision because Martin Jones did play an integral part in last night's uh, 2-1 overtime win. So good on him. He's paid to make those decisions. Last night was the right decision for him and the hockey club. But what what is Hildeby? Can he buy you the, the time that you need? And uh, we're going to see him. He's, he's going to play. And I, the margin between the American Hockey League goalie today and the NHL isn't that much physically. Like I said in my article today, the majority of the goaltenders somehow, some way, I don't care if you're six, seven or, or under six, they all kind of play the same. Now they look the <laughs> same. They've gone to the same coaching clinics. They're all like robots. Now the margin isn't that big where, where the margin is big is between the ears. And when can you play well, when you have to play well, when you're when you must make a save, can you make that save? No different than the golfers who need to make a putt on 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 Thursday and Friday to make the cut, or or make that putt on Saturday and Sunday to to win a championship. That's the same thing. They're they're the same thing. Then their game is between the ears. So Hildeby's going to be fine physically. It's just where is he between the ears? Find out, guys. Find your games are coming up. He's your second goalie right now. In your organization, you got to find out if he can play. Yeah, it's funny you mentioned the between the years part of it because that's a game that would have tested that aspect of it a lot last night, right? Not that the Ducks were peppering them with chances, but just that the margin of error was so small because of what was happening on the other end. It would have been interesting to see. Uh, Something that we did see in that game, uh, disgusting in my opinion, not the hit but the five-minute and a game misconduct on Bobby McMahon. Uh, Kipper, you played in a different era. Something tells me when you were playing that wasn't five in a game. Well, what Just, what happened, Kipper, to the, to the uh, NHL I knew and loved? Horrible call. Just <laughs> like that's the one. If, if we're talking about game three or game four in the playoffs, that one is front-page news, that, that call. And I, I don't know what they see. And, you know, what, what's making it worse, Gunner, from my era to what I saw last night is the official actually has a minute and a half yeah. to take a deep breath yes. and go watch the thing three times, <laughs> four times. Like, I don't know. I mean, do you need a bigger screen? Apparently. Right? Do we... <laughs> 
<laughs> Do we need to put it on the side of the building for you? Forget the Rent jumbotron. The put it on the sphere in Vegas. Something. Oh my, yeah, put it on the sphere. But I, I just don't understand that. Uh, uh, it's, it's, it's far enough off the boards. It's, it's a shoulder scenario. He's not hitting the back of the numbers. I'm sorry, you're off balance. I'm sorry that. Uh, uh, I'm sorry that uh, you know you're 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 hurt on the play, but that's not a five minute major. I, do, was it a while ago? Evander Kane hit Brodeen. Yeah, no suspension and fine. You remember that one, mm-hmm. right? And 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 nothing. And um, you know, but it is what it is. Move on. Yep. Leafs were able to do that, but uh, yeah, that one, Gunner. I'm, I'm right there with you, pal. Yeah. It is incredible that you can look at that in replay. You get the benefit of of understanding exactly what that hit was, and you, and the call remains. Um, all right, before I let you go, you had the the big report this week: the the Maple Leafs and William Nylander working towards an extension, and the number you bandied about eight times eleven and a quarter, um, and and that it it could be done before the NHL All Star break, uh, which happens to be in the city of Toronto as well. All right, so if it if it's eight. Times eleven two five, Kipper. How should we view the job yeah. Brad Tri Living did on that? Uh, good. Yeah. I I think it uh when when you look at it and again, you don't know what that number is gonna end up. Uh this is not a done deal. This is not imminent. This is just uh what you've been hearing uh at this point. So let's make that clear that maybe that there's, there's still some fight in the Leafs to find a way to get as much money of it down as as you can, but that's where it sits. And that's the argument that he is amongst uh, the two or three best wingers in the game and he should be uh, paid accordingly. So I, I think, I think we're on board in terms of saying, yeah, he's earned it. Yeah, he, that's where he is, and he's 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 an eleven million dollar a year AAV type of player. So mm. it doesn't to me ten nine, ten eight, eleven two. You're not blowing the deal yeah. over three or four hundred thousand dollars a year when you know that the cap is going to go up significantly in the next four or five years. So I I don't understand what the 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 big fusses on some people that cry that he's not that good or he's not that consistent to earn 11 million it's just it's a dumb argument and so so tree living's been through this before and i wouldn't mess with it any longer than you have to the whole idea as i said earlier uh on on our show this week is they'd love to get it done before the all-star break elliot uh, had reported on our on our show against uh, LA that he thought it could happen within a week mm-hmm. but that's that's where that's where it is guys and it's it's not that big of a new it's not a, a news flash when you consider you know what he's been able to do how he's been able to do it and where he stacks amongst uh, his peers in the National Hockey League had an assist yesterday. Give him 51 points this season. No, he's been uh, worth the money this year for sure. Uh, Kipper, always a pleasure. Thanks, buddy. Okay. Guys, have a great day. You too. Nick Kipper, it was Real Kipper and Born. He was our insider brought to you by Don Valley North Lexus, where you can expect excellence online 
and in the showroom, visit DonValleyNorthLexus.com. Yep, he's earned it. I, I don't I don't think there's going to be too much pushback from the fan base when they look at some number in and around that, especially mm-hmm. if it's over eight years, especially considering the production. That being said, yeah, I, 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 I guess what else are you supposed to do if you're the GM? But I, yeah, okay. I, I don't view this as a, a win for Brad for a living. I really don't. I think you have to look at retaining the player as a win. I don't think you would look at it that way if it's a 12 and a half or something ridiculous along those lines. But I think grading on the binary one or zero scale, retaining the player is a win. But I also don't think anybody, all the conversations I've had with with people around this, Kipper kind of nailed it, have gone, okay. Yeah, that's, that's what he's worth. Okay. If it's eight years, that's that's yeah. all well and good. There is the idea of somebody on this team, in this core, taking a hometown discount ain't going to happen. Like, it's just, it's not. And, you know, maybe we can point around the league and say, well, this guy did it. Well, that guy did it. I don't know that anybody has. Like, Connor McDavid did the thing where it was reported at, what was it, 13-5 or 13, and he went, "I'm so, that was so mean of me. I'm sorry. I'll take 12-5. It's not like that's a hometown discount. I mean, I suppose you could say anything under Max is a hometown discount for McDavid, but we get so bogged down in the idea of it felt like players did this because McKinnon's contract aged really well or Crosby and Ovechkin's contracts because of the way the cap was structured at the time and being able to go so long look better. But there's not a ton of players in the, there are guys in the middle tier who take less to be in a place they want to be. But the idea of, Oh, this superstar is going to take um, even, even just a million dollars less than what they deserve on an eight, forget in the total of a deal, AAV per year, not a chance. So I think that's the part of this that kind of colors people's perceptions as we keep waiting for somebody to do that. And it's not going to happen. It's not going to happen here, but guess what? It doesn't happen elsewhere either. People look at Tampa and say maybe that's the one, but they've had the internal cap structure and they were winning the, the mm-hmm. whole time guys were doing that. So that, and again, the point deal, that's one that has aged incredibly well. It's the deal Mitch Marner should have signed. So I think that's the part that gets bogged down is or gets confusing people is that contracts that have aged really well, people view as players who took hometown discounts at the time. And that's not really what happened. So I don't know why anyone expects it to happen here as much as God, would you love to see it happen? Of course you would. Mm-hmm. And David Pasternak, yeah, he scored 60 goals. He signed mm-hmm. the same deal last year, but this is this year right? Yeah, and- where we know the cap's going up. Yeah. Not we think. All right. Uh, we're pretty sure the Blue Jays are going to run back a pretty similar lineup to the one that got them to 89 victories and into the postseason, but one run in two games against the Minnesota Twins. Uh, we'll talk to Ben Nicholson-Smith, the At The Letters podcast, about Ross Atkins' media availability yesterday as the Fan Morning Show continues. Ben Annis, Brent Gunning, Sportsnet 590 The Fan. Dive deep into Toronto sports and the NFL. The J.D. Bunkus podcast. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. We feel very good about this team that is in place. Um, defining the impact of that, uh, we're, we're open to different ways to acquire talent and make the team better, specifically as to what the shape of that is. Certainly not going to name names, but uh, because we have a lot of versatility on our roster, players that can play multiple positions, uh, we have several ways that we can improve upon our roster. It would most likely be in the outfield or DH category. 
uh, but we're not limited to that. Well, I don't think we'll we'll add three players. I think most likely that it's it's closer to one. Um, and you know, but I think most importantly is we feel very good about this team that is in place. Um, defining the impact of that, uh, we're, we're open to different ways to acquire talent and make the team better. But we have a very good team in place that we are exceptionally excited about. Fan Morning Show, Sportsnet 5.9 of the fan, Ben Ennis, Brent Gunning. That was Toronto Blue Jays general manager Ross Atkins in his media availability yesterday is Kevin Kiermeyer, Isaiah Kiner-Falefa also doing their media availabilities. That's that's it. Those are those are the, the big signings. So, Al, there's one more to come, and it's, I think the guy that he's maybe referencing is the guy that Closer our next guest is, has reported the Blue Jays are interested in, Jock Peterson, who... This is very much an outfielder DH type. That's what he does. Playing some left field, playing some DH, but that that could be it. That could be your your Blue Jays team going forward to 2024. Let's talk to Ben Nicholson-Smith of the At The Letters podcast. How's it going, Ben? Hey, guys. Good morning. Good morning to you. Um, I get it. Like I said earlier on, the, the, it's not the, the most flush free agent class outside of Shohei Otani. And especially if you don't believe in Cody Bellinger and the $200 million that he's about to get, which I am not like, I, I get it. There's not a lot of other options out there, but boy, that's uh, it's a little tough considering how tough a watch this Blue Jays offense was a season ago. What do you make of what their offense stacks up to be? If it's just, let's say a Jock Peterson added to this group. Yeah. And they do have some serious interest in Jock Peterson. Seems like the Jays and, Diamondbacks, those are a couple teams to watch there. Um, so we'll see where, where that pursuit leads. A lot of players in the DH market. Jays will end up with someone to to help improve this offense. But it really it wasn't a great offense last year. And then we've seen them lose Matt Chapman and Brandon Belt from it. Obviously, Kiermaier comes back. If you look at kind of Falefa's maybe a Whitmerfield-type replacement, obviously he's a better defender. He's got a way better arm. But, you know, he's he's in that in that same type of player as a utility guy. So, all right, you're down Chapman then and belt from an offense that did struggle last year. So not ideal. And maybe Jock Peterson would be that Brandon belt type as a lefty bat, someone who can hit clean up, someone who can definitely give you a really good at bat against right-handed pitching, but it's um, yeah, it's, it's tough. And I think to some extent there was always going to be a letdown once Shohei Otani decided to sign with the Dodgers because there's just no comparing Otani to, to anyone else. Like that's, that's just, he's, he's one of a kind, but it doesn't seem as though the Jays are very motivated on the likes of a Cody Bellinger, for example. And so, you know, here we are looking at a team that is going to have to rely a lot on some internal contributions and bounce backs. And that was always going to be the case, but you want to be in a position as, as a team where you've got some outside help. And I think the Jays need some of that, even if they do go out and add a Jock Peterson. Yeah, I think that's what—that's the way most people look at it. And yeah, you can see a world where Vlad has a better offensive season, but you can also see a world where George Springer's health continues to decline. Like it is a, it is a, you know, it's not an impossible bet they're making, but it's a, it's certainly a, a bit of a dangerous one. The, the the other question I have for you, Ben, is just the on the messaging that we heard yesterday. I mean, God, it was such a topic coming out of 
the you know the way the season ended and then you, everything that happened with Otani there there's been so much talk about messaging and the performance of this front office not just in terms of what they do contractually but the way they they kind of sell that to the fan base you know I know sometimes that we can read too much into this thing that ultimately doesn't matter but what did you make of Atkins performance yesterday well I think that if you were trying to convey to agents out there that you're not desperate, then this is probably what it would have sounded like, um, just in the sense of saying, hey, we really like our team. Um, we really believe in the guys that we already have. He's not out there saying we need to make four additions tomorrow. When He's not saying that we need to you know, improve the, the lineup drastically and we're going to do everything we can and we're going to spend tons of money to do it because they would rather, even if they've decided internally that they're going to get some upgrades, they would rather do it at a price that makes sense to them. So I think there's always an element of posturing there. Now, at the same time, when Atkins says we're not adding, we're probably not adding three players, I would take that at face value. I would Mm -hmm. say they're probably not adding three, but it doesn't mean they can't add two. In my opinion, they should add two players to this offense just to deepen things, just to give them more options. Um, And they will add at least one player. I mean, when he's saying, oh, we like our team as it is, they're going to add like that. That part of it is posturing to a certain extent. And so it's not surprising to me when I hear that. I think that you hear GMs posture all the time and it's not just the blue Jays. It's every team in baseball will have their, their GM do that. Um, And that's part of what's happening here. And then to the other extent, it's also, you know what, they're probably not going to go out there and just, you know, spend 200 million on Cody Ballinger. Like that's, that's almost for sure not happening. Yeah, I mean, the the two players would make sense if there were two that made sense from a positional standpoint. And, and you're right, there's so many DHs out there, but that's the thing, they're all DHs, right? I know Jock Peterson can play some left field for you, um, but he's mostly a, a DH, and he's also a strictly uh, platoon player. He is unplayable against left-handed pitching. I know there's, like, the Justin Turner of it. I, I, how many games can you expect him to play third base? And, and if you're signing any one of these guys, Reese Hoskins, same thing. I like the idea of, a, of a Reese Hoskins trying to re, regain some value by, by you know, signing a short-term deal and him being your option at first base and, like, has played the outfield in the past. I don't, I don't imagine coming off the injury that he suffered, he's, he's a viable option out there. Like, if we're, two more bats to this team makes a whole lot of sense. I just, like, positionally, who are the guys out there that make sense if you're getting two of them? Well, I, I do. I think you make a lot of good points there, Ben. And I think that, you know, on Peterson, for sure, like he's not, he's not a, an outfielder at this point. I think even the Giants would kind of acknowledge that last year in the way that they used him. Um, Justin Turner as well, late 30s. You know, he's someone who's more of a DH. At the same time, like when you're adding some of these players who are later into their careers, you're not expecting that they're going to go out there and play 135 games. And I think that even applies to a Kevin Kiermaier, who we spoke to yesterday, and he sounds like he's really... You know, feeling good physically, that's great. But we all know the wear and tear that a major league season comes with. So when you have Kevin Kiermaier and George Springer as your center fielder and right fielder, all right, these guys are into their, you know, 33, 34, 35. Well, what if Springer plays 70 games instead of 110 games? Like, you just need to have different contingencies. And so this is where, you know, that that could mean that a kind of falafa ends up spending more time in the outfield than anticipated. This is why... I actually think the kind of fluff a move is a good move. It's not the end of the off season. It's, you know, just one piece of a bigger puzzle, but he's someone who can help out in those scenarios. And so to answer your question, I think that if you do add, let's say it's Jock Peterson, the reason that I personally think there's still room for, let's say 
is it a Jorge Polanco? Is it a Justin Turner? Is it even a Reese Hoskins? You could go crazy and get J.D. Martinez. Like, I don't think any of those scenarios, to my eye, are necessarily you know, the, the most um, unrealistic because I think the at-bats will be there. And if you get to a point that you have truly 10 really good position players, well, then John Schneider is going to be really happy because that means that the offense is going to be in a much better place than it was last year. Yeah, and I agree, and those at-bats will be there. It's just tough, like, when you're selling a free agent. It, it's probably likely just coming down to dollars and cents, but you're, there's also the you know, guaranteeing them or uh, assuring them playing time. It's it's just tough to see it right out of out of the gates. Like, obviously, that's going to happen. Injuries happen. Like, that, we know that to be a, a fact, but, yeah, it's just... It's it's tougher for me to in, to envision that that sales pitch, the Bellinger of it all, and maybe maybe this is all posturing for the eventual pivot to Cody Bell. That would be surprising at this point, considering uh, they brought back uh, back Kevin Kiermeyer. But it, we did hear, I mean, so many reports during this offseason about their keen interest in Bellinger. Is that just a a price thing? Like what what happened with the Blue Jays and Cody Bellinger in your mind? So great question. And so, and even to go back to your point about free agency, I think that's a good point. It can be hard to persuade those free agents. That's maybe where you go to trade for a second, for a second um, piece. That's where maybe Polanco comes in. Um, As for Bellinger, I think that they've always had interest. I mean, they had interest last off season. They have real interest this off season. I do think it's a question of price and how much risk you see there versus reward. Because if, if they could bring him in at the price that he was making last year, of course, you're thrilled to have Cody Bellinger on your team. He's 28 years old. He's a really good major league player. That, that much is not up for debate. Nobody in the game is going to debate that. It's a question of how much are you willing to spend? What kind of long-term commitment are you willing to make for this player? And he has strengths, and he also has some question marks. And so my sense is that the Blue Jays, Looked at the total package, thought, hey, this guy's a really good player, but probably you know, not someone that they must go all out and center their entire offseason around the way they would have for Shohei Otani. So then that means that they move along, they make some other additions. And at this point, I, I see the chances of them signing Bellinger is very, very, very slim. And I don't think that they're going to get into a bidding war with anyone for him. Um, I think that the Cubs are far more likely to sign Bellinger. I think he's going to be a Cub. We will see. It could be a giant, could be an angel, could be somebody else. But, you know, I just I don't see the Blue Jays as anywhere close to front runners for Bellinger at this point. And, um, you know, Chapman, too, I don't see them, you know, that that fit isn't quite as clear either. I mean, they could certainly add Chapman, um, but Bellinger, I think, is is pretty much off the table for now. I know this is not a front burner issue far from it for this team, but I mean, when I think back to last season, you know, there are many things that jump out, but one of the biggest was the, the run that, that babe Schneider went on there. What do you think the, and you know, maybe the answer is they'll figure it out in the spring, but what do you think the plan is for him? You know, we talk a lot about regression, positive regression. Sometimes there's a world where there's some negative coming for him. You know, this was a guy who for like a two week stretch, got to carry the team out of nowhere. What do you think they, they envision the plan being for him and how does the signing of uh, kind of Falefa kind of potentially change or alter that? Yeah, he, he had such a good season last year and he's going to have a chance to play regularly in the major leagues this year. I think he's likely to break camp with the team, especially as currently constituted. You want his bat on the bench. So the plan going into spring training, I expect will be, he will see some time at second base, third base and left field. 
and he will probably split his time evenly between those positions. We all know he's not a defensive wizard out there, but if he can just gain a level of competency and comfort at all three spots, then that will allow the Blue Jays to deploy him depending on the matchup, depending on the game situation, and probably bounce him around. So I think against left-handed pitching, which he really excelled against last year, we're going to see him in there almost every day that there's a left-handed starter on the mound. And then against righties, kind of depends on what comes next. So it could be someone who's in there with some frequency, or he might be more of a bench option against righties. Mm-hmm. And it depends on how he performs as well. Um, yeah. So the Blue Jays, quite notably, don't have Shohei Otani. Uh, he went to the Dodgers in, in case you were, you know, in a coma for the last couple months. Uh, he, the, the Blue Jays had lots of interest, and he did, in fact. It was confirmed. Went to Dunedin. He visited the facilities, and Ross Atkins, whether he believes it or not, said uh, yesterday that he believed the interest to be genuine. Um, and Blue Jays obviously had a lot of resources tied up in pursuing him and 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 believing that that was a legitimate possibility and then passed them by and you know, Juan Soto was already off the table, right? Like, there's a lot of moves already made. Like, uh, Jimer Candelario was gone. Like, how much did the Otani pursuit, uh, and, and I know it's all hindsight now, but, like, how much did that screw up their offseason? I don't think it screwed it up. Um, yeah, I mean, and I do think that the interest was really real. And Otani, too, like, the more you learn about Otani and the more you look at this guy, like, when he was coming over to Major League Baseball for the first time, he explicitly said he didn't want to go to the Yankees. Like he wasn't trying to leverage teams. He wasn't trying to, you know, get the highest bidders involved at all costs. He only talked at that point in time and heading into the 2018 season to the teams that were genuinely interesting to him. Same with this time. There was never any smoke around the Yankees. There was never any smoke around the Mets. If you wanted to boost the price, I don't think you'd choose the Jays. Historically, they've been you know, more of a modest spender than a, than a huge spender. If I'm Shohei Otani or if I'm CAA and I'm trying to drive up the price, I tell Ryan Cashman that he has a real chance. I tell Steve Cohen that he has a real chance. I'm not worrying about the Toronto Blue Chase. So this entire time, I've always thought that the interest was real. That was what I heard from people on all sides of this thing, whether it was from the agency side, whether it was from the Jays. So to me, yeah, the interest was super real. He wasn't going to waste his time and get into a, a plane for five hours to see a facility that he could have seen on video. But it obviously didn't work, and you don't get any points for finishing second. Mm. And ultimately, you know, great, this this professional player had some interest in seeing your facility that, that gets you zero <laughs> wins, you know, gets you zero runs, gets you zero dollars. In fact, it probably costs you money because yes. you have to shut down your facility for a day. So, you know, there's no prize for it. But it just from a narrative standpoint, I honestly, like, it, to me, it's pretty clear. Like this, why? Why would he do this if he wasn't genuinely interested? And if he was trying to create a fake interest or trying to create a market for himself, just tell everyone the Yankees and Mets are involved and leak word that you that you love New York City. Like, there's so many other ways to do this than getting Toronto involved. Yeah, uh, that's actually a really good point. Um, it, it, I think it was Brent raised this point to me after the Otani thing. Wow. Actually, it was while it was happening, like, hey, what would soften the blow of this Otani thing? And, like, would it be Juan Soto? And I was like, yeah, kind of like the, the fit is better for Juan Soto, depending on what they're sending out the door and how much of it is the major league talent currently on this team. Um, yeah, I get it's only one year, but if you're going to spend uh, you know, half a billion dollars on Shohei Otani, why can't you just redirect those funds towards Soto? They don't get Soto. It, the Yankees gave up a guy in Michael King who could be an ace 
for um, for the Padres. Who knows? Uh, they gave up a lot. I mean, could the Blue Jays have been legitimately involved in Soto discussions? Do you think if if the Otani thing doesn't happen? I see. That's a really good question, and that would probably be the one thing that the Otani thing cut them off from. Yeah. Um, at the same time, if the Padres really believed that the Blue Jays were going to be at that level, then they would have waited another week, you know, because they they knew the Otani resolution was coming. Everyone in the game knew that that things were picking up at that point. So that to me says that AJ Preller and the Padres felt that the Blue Jays were not going to be close to the Yankees from a uh, total value, um, at least in the eyes of the Padres, which is ultimately what matters with that sort of thing. So, uh, you know, it's, it's a missed opportunity on paper. I'm not sure the Jays obviously had interest in Juan Soto and he would be a really good fit. He'd be an amazing fit. For yeah. This team. Um, but yeah, it's, and I don't know that, I don't know that they would have, you know, in the alternate universe that they actually would have gotten Juan Soto. And you know, ultimately, you look at this this Jays team, and you know, if it if it really is, you go from those two guys to IKF and Kiermaier, and let's say it is a Jock Peterson, that's a big downgrade. They're like end of the day, you're trying to win a World Series, like you're going to need some really good players. And so, you know, they're they're at a point now where. You know, they're going to need to hit on these signings, even if they're smaller scale. They're going to have, they can't whiff on them. And they're going to need some guys to step up from within this team. And they need the pitching to be as good as it was a season ago, which, okay. What can go wrong? Yeah, it's fine. Uh, It's, yeah, it's it's an interesting offseason, that's for sure. Uh, Ben, uh, I've enjoyed your coverage of it, and uh, thanks for doing this today. You got it, guys. Have a good one. You too. Ben Nicholson Smith of the At the Letters podcast. So, Great point by Ben that if you were going to use a team as leverage and mm-hmm. there were multiple teams involved and I don't know if the Giants fans are having the same conversation about, you know, feeling like they were used, mm-hmm. but yeah, you would, you would make it seem that you were interested in going to New York city that, yeah, you were, you're going to be a Yankee. Your lifelong dream might've been to be a Yankee or a Matt and not necessarily a blue Jay who f- felt like the runner up, to mm-hmm. the Dodgers, right? Like, why waste his time? Now, I, I, I understand that point as well. You know that hey, Shohei Otani is a busy man. Like, he doesn't need to be wasting his time for what? Sure. Like a couple extra hundred million dollars? Yeah, well, who would want such a thing? N- yeah, his. It's not all him, right? It's it's yeah. a it's the industry of Shohei Otani. It's it's Nez Bolello. Mm-hmm. It's it's everybody within his orbit. It's it's yeah. that it's the country of Japan. Y- truly, <laughs> but it. The point is well taken that that's a lot of time wasting and an embarrassing amount if you're Shohei Otani and you never gave it a real modicum of thought. Just because you were lo- used for leverage doesn't mean that Shohei Otani never actually considered the Blue Jays. Like two no, things. No, it does. No, to me it does. No, to me it does. That's those are two different things. I if don't you're being think so. used as leverage, you're like, yeah, let's make this fake thing up that we're interested in being a Blue Jay so that the Dodgers have to pay us more. If you're truly interested, that's okay, it may have the same effect. It's not the same thing. Okay, I gu- I guess this is a bit of a semantic argument to me then because I think Shohei I think there's a world where Shohei Otani could have been interested 
interested, probably was interested in the Blue Jays. You don't go to Dunedin if you're fine. not. Then you but, lost out on the player. That's, okay, but that's I, fine. I but, can live with that. Th- and again, that's why I think this is a bit of a semantic argument because I look at it as he was always going to be a Dodger. So it's like, did he use the Blue Jays? I suppose, but he was using everyone because he always wanted to go be a Dodger. The other part of this as well is if you're going to put something out there, we all have to believe it. And maybe this is just my own hobby horse that I've been kind of banging the drum on forever. I don't believe for one second Shohei Otani was going to go play in a real sports market on the East Coast. So the idea of him going, oh, I like the Yankees. I want to be a Met. He told us the last time he didn't want the smoke and he wasn't going to do that. So the idea of all of a sudden, oh, the Big Apple does intrigue me. Yeah, okay, I believe it. Would that be more using a team than what happened with the Jays? That I do believe. But yeah, I, I think that I think that he can be genuinely interested and you can still be used. Okay, so that's interesting. I didn't, I, I just assumed that everybody was of my line of thinking here. And I need to be clear then that if the Blue Jays just lost out on Shohei Otani because, you know, he had interests and he was interested in hearing everybody's mm-hmm. pitch and open-minded yep. to the, the whole process. And they just lost out to him because, well, one, like he always kind of like did give the Dodgers the edge. And two, they came up with a $700 million offer, which is in air quotes because it's not really that. But yeah, the, the, they did that. Like that is, that sucks. It yep. really sucks, but it's, what are you going to do? Like, yeah. that, but what I'm saying is if, you're being used as leverage is not a genuine idea. Like you're showing up as window dressing. Like mm. you're showing up in Dunedin, you're going to the facility just to to drum up interest in other markets, to drive the price up for the Dodgers. And that the reporting around that is kind of murky. Maybe we'll continue this conversation tomorrow. But yeah, no, I I, I think it's fine to lose out on the player um, if he just, you know, if he was interested, but you didn't quite get it over the line. Anyways, that was uh, the Fan Morning Show. We'll mm-hmm. be back tomorrow. Ben Ennis, Brent Gunning, Sportsnet 590, The Fan. Good, Good morning. morning.